Welcome to the Musician's Venture Podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned from musicians' backstories, as well as from building successful careers in the music business. My name is Nick O'Brien, and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events that Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. On occasion, I'll be joined by Allison M., the founder of Wisconsin Music Ventures, as she and I will dive into topics relevant to the music industry. So let's get down to business. Welcome to this episode of the Musician's Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Brien. On this episode, I chat with Madison-based musician Augie Doherty, who's the banjo player and frontman for Armchair Boogie, one of Wisconsin's emerging and popular bands right now in the bluegrass scene. Although, Augie classifies the band's genre as newgrass because there's a drummer. The Boogie Boys, as they're known among their fans, came together in 2015 while attending college in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Madison is their home base now, but they're often touring around the country. Armchair Boogie has released an EP and two full-length albums, with a third record slated for release in 2023. Augie also plays solo, and you can sometimes find him sitting in with other bands or musicians. He has two passions in his life, music and nature. When he's not playing music, he's doing what he can to restore and improve Mother Earth. Augie and I did this interview in the green room at the Scotty River Bluegrass Festival, which was the first time we met, and it was also my first armchair boogie show. And because it's so common at bluegrass festivals for musicians and other bands to jump on stage and play with each other, I had the pleasure of seeing Augie play a lot over the course of the festival weekend. During our chat, we talk about how he got into playing the banjo, his time going to college in Stevens Point, which introduced him to the bluegrass scene, and his musician friends that he plays with now. He talks about the influence of John Prine and Tuck Pence on his songwriting. He reflects on the beginnings of Armchair Boogie when he and Ben Majeska met and started playing together. Augie shares the value of working with a booking agent. He also talks about the importance for him to have balance between his music career and the other aspects of his life. He reflects on the challenges of the musician lifestyle and how those challenges have impacted him and other musicians he's friends with. We dive into his thoughts on how to find balance between the self-confidence needed to be a successful musician and that confidence presenting itself as narcissistic or egotistical. He talks about the goal for Armchair Boogie, particularly the goal of playing a specific venue in the next few years. After the interview, you'll hear an Armchair Boogie song called all My Friends, and Augie talks about that song, what inspired it, and why he wrote it. He reflects on what he calls the best show of his life and why it was such a great experience. And our conversation ends with him explaining how grateful he is for his music career and the passion he has for having music as such an important part of his life. Augie is a genuinely nice guy on top of being a really talented musician so it's no wonder he's experiencing success with his music career. If you aren't yet familiar with Augie or Armchair Boogie, well, this conversation will give you a great opportunity to get interested in their music. If you're already a fan of the Boogie Boys, you're also in for a treat. Either way, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Augie Doherty. All right, Augie. 
Hey, man, thanks for sitting down with me. Pleasure. I've heard a lot about you from a friend of mine, Billy Bronstead. Good man. Yeah, he's he's not bad. He's not bad at all. And I know you guys have played together quite a bit. Mm -hmm. We are at the Scotty River Bluegrass Festival, and you just shared the stage during Billy's set. So, Augie... Armchair Boogie's been around for about eight years now. You guys have certainly made a name for yourselves in Wisconsin, based in Madison. Are you from Madison originally? I am from the Madison area. Okay. Dodgeville. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just outside of Madison. Have you always just been in the Madison area? Did you leave and come back? Oh, yeah. That's a big part of life, especially music life. I went to school in Stevens Point, so I graduated in high school in Dodgeville. Went up to Stevens Point, which was a huge, huge, big experience as far as the music scene goes. And that's where I met nearly everybody that were hanging out with Adrian tonight. And then moved down to Madison after five years in Stevens Point. Yeah, we'll definitely dive into that. But yeah. let's like kind of set the table for the conversation. We were talking earlier in the green room and mm -hmm. you're saying life is pretty busy right now. Yes, it is. So, you know, tell us about like what life is like as a musician right yeah. now for you. It is great. I am extremely thankful for where I'm at right now. I would say the Madison music scene is really popping off again since COVID tapered off, and it's an absolute blast to be around town right now. Wednesday, I was in Madison. I played one show at my favorite bar called The Up North, and then I walked two blocks over to the High Noon Saloon, and I played with Dig Deep that night. And then Arkansas's band is in town, and I played with them there too. So I got to play with three bands in one night. It was on a Wednesday night, you know literally walking to gigs and that made me feel amazing yeah like that's where it's at yeah that's in awesome my, in my town just playing music yeah and clearly like music is a big yeah. part of your life and it has to Huge. be a pretty fulfilling experience for you every time you get to play yeah but how did this all start man like well, like go back to the beginning when did music become a part of your life in a, in a way that it was kind of drawing you to create it versus yeah. just consume it well i've definitely been consuming it since forever Okay. But like I said, I went to school in Stevens Point and pretty much right away, I started going to hang out with the Horseshoes and Hanger Nades guys because they were about three, four years above me. They had a stronghold on the music scene in Stevens Point at that point. And so every weekend was a Horseshoes and Hanger Nades show, which I partied my ass off for and basically kind of jammed with those guys. And then we went out to the Northland Ballroom a lot, which I don't know if you're familiar with that. Sure. It's a great spot where our good friend Sloppy Joe hosts a jam every Wednesday night. And I had learned banjo in high school, but I never got to jam with anybody. It just kind of appealed to me. I found a great teacher, and I was good at it. I progressed quickly, and so I just kept it going. And then by the time I got to college, I played with one band for a little bit. I played electric guitar mostly, and then got back into bluegrass when I met Ben Majeska in Armchair Boogie. And, and so in 2014, we started doing little duo shows and, and really having a blast and playing around. It was hard for me to focus on school. Yeah. I went to school for forestry up there, which I still practice uh, natural resources. Stuff. Good school to go to for that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I went to it for forestry. Yeah. I didn't go to it for bluegrass. But that is what <laughs> happened. I always remember being at a show a night when I had class the next morning and just doing, God, I just feel like this is more important than the class that I have tomorrow. I I'm gaining so much more right now than I ever gained in class by paying attention to the music that's happening. Mm -hmm. and, and plus, I was partying really hard. So yeah, so, yeah. So it was easy to think that. Was guitar the first instrument you picked up then? No, actually, banjo was. Okay. Yeah, I was 15. I got a banjo. My mom got it for me for my birthday. I think it was my 15th birthday. Maybe 14th, dude. I had that for a year, and I got a guitar a year later. Never took guitar lessons, but I took banjo lessons for three years. Yeah. Did you ask for a banjo for your birthday? 
I did. Okay, so what was the draw to banjo at 15? I mean, this was pre-Steven's point yeah. before you'd been really exposed to the bluegrass scene. Well, I would say that it was luck in one way because all my buddies were learning how to play guitar, and I would watch them play a song on guitar, and then I would pick their guitar up, and I would play what they did, right? Because I could just mimic them and, and figure it out super easily. And they were getting pissed at me. You know, 14-year-old kids were like, dude, learn your own songs, man. That's my song I chose. Like, do your own thing. And I didn't even have a guitar. I just was like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to try and do that. And I naturally could do it. You know, we're playing Smoke on the Water or some shit. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's so, first song. Yeah. So, so they got pissed at me and I was like, fine, I'm just going to learn something else. And I talked to my mom about it. And she was like, what about banjo? Because her brother played banjo for a little bit. And she okay. was like, bluegrass music and banjo. She like, not really into it. But she was like, what about banjo? And I remember listening to some songs that had banjo in it and being like, that just makes me happy. That just makes me want to smile. Like the banjo sounds fun. I've never been more excited to get a present. So stoked about that. That's awesome. What were you listening to at that time? Like, what were you playing on the banjo? I was listening to Black Sabbath. Okay. And The Who and Led Zeppelin. Okay. And ACDC. All right. And I still got a banjo. Yeah. I was just learning these standard bluegrass tunes, thinking like, yeah, these are cool, and really enjoying it. And I was playing bass in high school, like kind of garage band, doing Led Zeppelin stuff with my friends, and just learning that. But still coming back and just like, for some reason, staying really true to the banjo and taking solid lessons mm -hmm. and learning technique that way. Then there was like a couple of years where I didn't play it in college when I was in that alternative band called the Hymatics. Which was a really cool eye-opening experience just of how you play gigs, how you play as a band and do stuff like that. It never really worked out. They have cool music. And going back to listen to them is pretty wild. But Armchair Boogie started basically when that band stopped playing shows and there was two main singers in that band that played guitar. They left and we got Ben Majesco and that was Armchair Boogie. Same rhythm section, me, Eli, Earl Drummer, Dan, and Ben. That was the beginning of Armchair Boogie. Okay. It was like the end of one band, pulled in Ben, started playing a different genre, and that was Armchair Boogie. And you'd never played bluegrass before? I was playing it all the time. Okay. Like, practicing it. Okay. Barely jamming with people. But then that was a couple years into Steven's point, where I had started jamming with Horseshoes and Hanger Days, jamming with Sloppy Joe at the Northland Ballroom, and then Ben and I started playing shows together. So... Yeah, kind of just revived this love for bluegrass. Man, I'm so happy I, I found somebody to play with. And Ben and I really, really clicked. Enough so to where I've been playing music with the guy for eight years. So, yeah, that's something. That is awesome. Yeah. And when did, like, singing coming into the mix? It was just there always. Yeah? I mean, I just started doing it, and when I listened back to the first stuff I ever recorded vocally, I hated. I oh, yeah. hate listening to it. So our first album I despised. And it sucks, but that just is the case. Because I didn't know how to sing, no, had no direction of how to sing, and hadn't found my own voice yet. And I'm still just a, a guy that's singing. I'm not like, you know, Chris Stapleton. I still always listen back, and I'm like, yeah, no, that does the job. Gotcha. So like, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I suck. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I worked out all right. But, yeah, especially this weekend, as you can tell, I'm a little bit sniffly. Yeah. And I got a cold. That's just ending, so that makes it real tough to sing. Yeah, I'm sure. You push through. Yeah, I'll be all right. And what about, like, the songwriting influence? Like, when did that come in, and yeah. how did you learn how to do that? Yeah, that's interesting, too. You know, I think that there's just a gene that makes that happen. Sure. Songwriters, there's just something inside you that lets it come out. Because I've never considered myself poetic or anything like that. Or, God, I'm barely literate. 
but I just enjoy writing and stuff that happens. Like, it's just how I feel about stuff. But I will contribute it entirely to the fact that I listened to John Prine growing up. Yeah. I listened to John Prine a lot. My mom loved John Prine. She also had a Tuck Pence album. Okay. You know Tuck Pence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Northwood's legend, for sure. Yeah. Um, I've played with Tuck Pence in this town. That's know? awesome. Yeah. Um, so she had, I swear, she had a Tuck Pence album, a John Prine album, and a Meatloaf album. Like, all I remember my mom listening to. And so all of those people were on the same level in my eyes. I had no idea Tuck Pence was a local guy. So then all of a sudden, I'm at a festival and Tuck Pence is there at Jack Pine. I'm like, Tuck Pence, are you kidding me? He's here. They're like, yeah, he's here every year. And I thought he was a huge deal, which he's huge. Yeah. Awesome. I love that man to death. But then I was in Tuck Pence's backing band for a couple times. You know, like, I got to do that for a little bit. Listening to those guys who are just awesome, awesome songwriters, John Brian, and then coming into the bluegrass thing a little bit more, listening to just standard bluegrass and, and really diving into John Hartford. Big, big deal for me. John Hartford, huge inspiration. There's some things that I try and do unique. There's some things that I try and mimic the stylings of or the structure of, you know. You could probably look at a bunch of my songs and be like, oh, yeah, that's just like this song by John Prine or something like mm-hmm. that. And you're saying this as you're wearing a hat with John Prine lyrics on it. That's right. <laughs> so, a billboard, I guess. Yeah, listeners, you can't see it, but he's not pulling your chain when he says John Prine's a big influence. He's, he's actually wearing it. <laughs> yeah, yep, he's a big deal. So let's talk about Armchair. And when you all started, you were in college, Yeah, probably just kind of figuring it out. Yep. How has it gotten to the point where it is now? I mean, you're one of the most respected bluegrass bands in the state. Like, was that the plan all along? Or like, you just kind of figure it out and it's, it's come to this now? No, no, it certainly wasn't the plan. I think that maybe it was the plan in Ben's eyes. Okay. We started playing as a duo, Ben and I. And then, like I said, we grabbed the rhythm section from my old man, the Hymatics. And we started just playing out like that. And we just started playing. That's all there was to it. We were having a great time. We were starting to be able to, like, kind of, you know, like, make 50 bucks here and there or something like that. And so we were playing everywhere around central Wisconsin. Playing Wass all the time. Stevens Point. Went and played lacrosse a whole bunch. Appleton, Nina. Madison, Manaqua, just really building the Wisconsin thing. And that's what it took for sure. I mean, I think back to all this, it's crazy how many shows that we played. There was one year where we played like 120 shows. That was like 2017 or something, which is insane for me to think about now. Yeah. It's not even that big of a number in the terms of what a standard touring artist would do, Mm -hmm. you know, but 120 something shows. We do like 85 a year now or something like that. Okay. Somewhat, give or take 20. But yeah, that is absolutely how that started. Just playing, learning songs, writing songs, and just playing. And Ben Majeska is a ginormous reason why that happens. Because he really, really pushed us. He's a yes man. So he's like, you want to come play our gang? It's yes. And then Ben tells me where it is. Okay. I'll be like, oh, that's not a good pay. Or that's, oh, really? We want to do that? He's like, come on, dude. We just got to play. And that's, he's right. He's completely right. But. That's what it takes, is saying yes to everything for, like, a long-ass time. Yeah. Just getting out there. Absolutely what it takes. Because, like, it's going to be a percentage of shows that completely flop. But then again, if there's one guy in the audience that remembers you and tells six buddies, and then they come out the next time, you know, then it's a success, really. You have to do that for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're still doing that, you know? I mean, I am so proud of where we're at in the Wisconsin bluegrass scene right now. Absolutely. We're not even a bluegrass fan, you know? We're, it, yeah, I like to say new grass. Yeah, sure. Just because there's drums. Yeah, yeah. And we do such a unique thing, and we do some bluegrass. We do some funk songs and some country songs and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. What was the inspiration for the name of the band? 
Well, we were looking for names. Okay. And we were going to be something stupid like the Pine Brothers or some shit. And we went on Facebook and we said, hey, what should our band name be? Oh, really? And uh, our good buddy, Jake Poncratz, who we still hang out with often, said he woke up that morning and saw his armchair in his room with American flag draped over it. And the sun was gleaming through the windows, shining on it. And he literally thought, this is going to be an armchair boogie kind of day. Armchair boogie, yeah, that sounds pretty decent. Let's go with it. It was unique. Like, all right, sweet. And then uh, come to realize that that's the name of a Michael Hurley album. Oh. Familiar, really uh, well-known folk artist. Okay. Hurley. We had no idea that when we named it. And so we were, like, kind of worried about it as a young band. And then we played the same thing. I was talking about Jack Pine Jamboree. Michael Hurley was there one year. We then heard through a couple people that somebody said, hey, there's a band called Armchair Boogie. And he was like, oh, cool. Ah. So I think he approved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, oh, we're not getting sued by Michael Hurley, so. Right, right. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So you said, you know, when you and Ben met, you just clicked. Talk about that connection. Like, what is it that, was it chemistry? Yeah. Like, how did you meet in the first place? Well, I was playing with the High Maddox, and I don't know, we had seen each other around at parties, but I'm not sure if we ever met or anything like that. And I just remember somebody saying, hey, you know Ben? And I was like, I think I met that guy. And he was like, he likes bluegrass and he's trying to play bluegrass. And I heard that you play the banjo, which I wasn't really playing in that group much. I played it for like one or two songs. And I was like, well, shit, let's meet up. And so like, I think somebody even gave me his number or we reached out on Facebook or something like that. We just jammed on my front porch in Stevens Point and we just picked a few songs, you know, a few traditional ones. And I remember he was really obsessed with the Keller and the Keels album at that point. So this is probably 2014, I believe. So I started playing on my porch. I still got videos of that, and we totally clicked, had so much fun jamming, because I still, I feel the same way, is that we were on, like, such a similar level. You know, tiptoeing around the fact of even knowing how to play bluegrass music, still very much learning, but just smashing the instruments, you know, just going and having a blast. And then we kind of started going out to the Northland Jam, and... That is a bluegrass school in a way because Sloppy Joe leads it and Dale Reichert also hangs out there all the time. He's a banjo player, a huge mentor of mine and just in his playing. And they all taught me how to play bluegrass stuff and, you know, how you move around on stage, how you slide in between each other and go to the microphone. When it's somebody's time, you look at each other a certain way and it's your time to do a solo, stuff like that. Like there's so much that you learn when you're playing bluegrass. Yeah. And you guys just have that chemistry. Yeah. And so we felt it and we just kept doing it. And, uh, we tried a couple different things at first. We did duo shows together for a, quite a few of those. And then we had our good buddy, Oscar Netzel, who's in Dig Deep, which I just sat in with, who I just played the right hand of his banjo as he played the left hand up on stage half an hour ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, damn, I missed that. <laughs> That's something we've been doing for a while now. I got a f- several pictures of us doing that. That's hilarious. <laughs> we had him on upright bass, and he was part of a, a group at that time called the Ditch Runners, who broke up and they formed Dig Deep soon after similar time period as armchair boogie form so we've been doing this thing together man my best friends i love those people so much in big deep so we had oscar play bass for a couple shows maybe even just one ben is really good at networking he's kind of met his thing so he just always buddies up to the person who's gonna give him a show ben and i were at a show it was a dead horses show maybe dead horses and horses hanging in something like that in green bay and we got into the after bar and we were not 21 okay and Ben got up next to Sarah Voss from Dead Horses and was just like, I see that you're playing 
at Goose coming up soon, which is a bar in Stevens Point. Mm-hmm. He's like, we should open up for you. You should let me open up for you. And, and it took some convincing because she had no idea who we were. Right. And we had Oscar sit on base with us that. So that was a three-person show. One of the first Armchair Boogie shows. You know, the first one that we ever had a poster for or anything like that. And had a blast. But Oscar's busy as hell, so he couldn't really make that happen. Sounds like Ben is the networking type. Yep. And so does he kind of handle, like, the business side of Armchair Boogie? Yeah, totally. He was booking all the shows for a long time. Ben went to school for arts management. Okay, so he's that makes sense. Trained to do yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And he had an internship with a guy that was out in Portland. He was remotely, as, like, a 21-year-old, being an intern for this agency. Okay. And, and just sending out emails and all this stuff to people all over the place. And he did that for quite a while. And then... Basically, he was booking the shows for us. He was doing a great job. He booked us tours in Colorado and stuff like that where we made money for the first time going on a tour. I don't understand that still. We've <laughs> lost money going on tours since then. Like, how do you do your first tour and totally make money? Wow. But um, after he was doing the internship and he quit that and we were looking for a booking agent. And he, he had worked for the booking agent and it was just a natural thing. So the guy he was working for became our booking agent, Mike Case. And he's been our booking agent for like four years now or something. Okay. So over a half of the life out of the band. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big deal too. And that's a huge influence on some success right there too. Yeah. Being a good guy to do that shit. Yeah. And I mean, does he just book or does he handle like promo and other stuff or? He just books, but also has had a lot of advice over the years. That's been really, really helpful. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's the natural progression of things. God, it's wild because, like you said, was that the goal? Mm-hmm. Was it the goal to get to where we are now? Not in my mind. The goal is just to play and have fun and have a good time and learn. Not just a good time, but like an extremely fulfilling life thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was doing. Yeah. And Ben was like, oh, yeah, I want to get to the top. Likely. Just, this is me saying what I think he probably thinks. Um, because he's driven like that in a business way. But I don't just try to have a good time, dude. I just show up with the banjo. That's what I always say. Yeah. I don't know where I'm playing next weekend. I'm going to show up with the banjo. Yeah. Has it ever been a dream of yours to do music full time? Is that a realistic vision? Yeah. In a way, if I could play the amount of shows that I'm playing right now and make a living off of that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It's really exhausting and it's super challenging in other ways. And it becomes less and less about the music that you need to do. There's so much BS involved. I will always do other things because just as passionate as I am about music, I'm that passionate about the outdoors and conservation and nature. It's there for me. And that's what I do in my day job. So I want there to always be a balance because both of those things ground me. Sure. And they give and take a lot. I don't write songs when I'm touring or when I'm playing music like a demon, (laughs) like I have to do sometimes. But when I'm doing pointless stuff, lawn maintenance or something like that for the landscaping company that I work for, right like crazy because i want to be doing that music thing so much but when i'm on the road for two weeks or something like that it's kind of awful sometimes and i'm like man i don't want to play music tonight and that sucks yeah that sucks ass it's like this amazingly beautiful thing and now because you do it so much that you don't want to do it it's terrible so there has to be the balance for me so to answer your question do you ever want to do it full-time no, because that would mean that I'm not doing other things. Mm-hmm. And I need to be doing other things for myself. Yeah. Well, it's important to have the balance part. You know, there are a lot of musicians who just kind of burn themselves out. Yeah. 
And, you know, certainly think every musician goes through the period where to play the shows that make money, you got to yeah. be, you know, the band or, or the duo in the corner of the bar next to the dartboard, yeah. you know, playing somebody else's songs and no one's paying attention to you, Yeah, you know, versus, you know, ticketed shows or, or yeah. covered shows or whatever like that. But like, did you guys go through that period or did you just start like making your own music? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that like have to happen in order to line it up, you know? Your band has to stay together. That's a pretty big part. Yeah. You have to not hate each other's guts. 90% of the time, you have to not hate each other's guts. Okay. <laughs> okay, do it a little bit, I think. But then you have to be good. You know, you can't suck. You have to be awesome in a way. I mean, some people can think you suck, but that's still completely unclear because I'm sure there's a bunch of people who've seen us or they're like, oh, that kind of suck. But enough people have not thought that right. in order to like bring us up to where we're at right now. Right. So you find your audience. Because I'm sure that there's one of the most amazing guitar players and singer-songwriters right now in Nebraska, mm -hmm. middle of nowhere, and he's a farmer's boy, and he has no outlet for learning, mm -hmm. and he's never going to go anywhere. They are never going to go anywhere because they don't have the people around them to lift them up or tell them that they're good. Because, I mean, I grew up in a place where I had a negative energy growing up. Like, my mother was extremely, extremely supportive of me. Bought me the badges, everything. Other members of my family didn't give two shits, right? And so it, it wasn't supported by other people in my life for a little bit. So, like, not that I'm like this rags to riches story or anything like that, but I did experience that a little bit and I didn't listen to it. Luckily, I was able to just look past it and be like, shut the fuck up. So, that pertaining to the question is like, that's the type of thing that you need to get past at times. It happens so much for so many people. When you're just playing in a bar in the middle of nowhere and then like nobody cares at all that you're there. And if that happens enough times, like it doesn't matter how good you are. You're just going to be like, this isn't for me. I can't do this. Because like there's been so many times I've had like a panic attack after the show and be like, I'm committing my life to this thing. And that was the most ungratifying thing I've ever done, like playing that show. Yeah, it is. So you have to look past those things and you have to just keep on. Just keep on it. And the people that make you realize that are the people that are at this festival right now. Mm -hmm. Everybody that I've been playing with for like six, seven years now, every band on this list, for the most part, is a very close friend. And when we talk, we say beautiful and uplifting things to each other. Life is tough, man, for some people. And tougher than you think for some other people. Uh -huh. And so those are important things, man. Lee Martin on the pedal stick was playing all week. Every time I see him, he's just like, just keep playing. Just keep doing what you're doing. You guys rock. I love you so much. Mm -hmm. That's something I don't take lightly. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you mentioned some of the non-music-related things in your life, you know, not necessarily having support from everybody in your family, you know, partying a lot in your college days. Like, are there particular challenges in your life that you think getting the fulfillment of music has helped you kind of overcome? And if you're open to sharing those. Yeah, I think that, like, you kind of brought up there the partying thing, because that was uh, the first half of it, was partying my ass off during these shows getting blackout drunk all the time and staying up all night and that's such an unhealthy thing to do and that'll also make you burn out and die doing this type of stuff mm -hmm. literally die mm -hmm. you know so yeah those are the challenges biggest challenge i've ever faced is my friend max graham dying committing suicide and he was such an influential musician in the scene it's been two years it's too fast yeah those are the dangers being like substance abuse and mental health problems just getting past all that so yeah those are the types of things that drive me 
I'm just so damn fulfilled by playing music. You know, my music just is what it is. There's an inherent narcissism to being a musician. Like yeah. you have to be like, I'm good enough to where people need to see what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think that way. I like to try not to. But you eventually sit down and think like that because you're like playing so many shows all the time. You're like, I'm not that important. But if you want to succeed, you have to be like, I am that important. And people are liking this stuff and I need to sell myself. I need to have this confidence and ego. Otherwise, I'm just going to not get anywhere. How do you balance that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if there's an answer to because every guy that she'll talk to is different about it. And you meet so many people on the road. In the bluegrass scene, like I just said, I just... You know, I just talked about these guys like they're angels, and they are. The Wisconsin bluegrass scene is full of angels. They are. And they're all so amazing to each other, and that's all that I can ask, and I want to be a part of that community. Like you just said, okay, this is another thing, how we're all jumping around here playing with each other tonight. There's a bunch of people on stage back and forth the whole night. We can play with each other. There's no, there's no practice, all this stuff. That's what happens in the bluegrass scene. People can just do that. Maybe you get to, like, maybe, like, old-school traditional bluegrass there's people that are really strict and straight and will shame you for doing something wrong we're just having fun that doesn't happen in other genres like you're not seeing the foo fighters have like four people sit in with them at a show i don't think yeah or like something like eric clapton all the blues it happens for sure other stuff where there's standard music jazz blues bluegrass stuff like that you do see that but in so many other genres that are popular these days you don't see that camaraderie yeah, and so that could be like the answer to the question of like, yeah, you balance the inherent narcissism or egotism yeah. that comes with it by sharing the spotlight. Yeah, with your friends. Yes. Yep. Yep. Everybody has something to share. Yeah. So what is? And maybe this would be a better question for Ben, but Ben's not here with me right now. So like, what is the goal for Armchair Boogie now that you're here and you you can actually see that there's mm-hmm. you know trajectory that you're on, like. Is it just to continue playing or is there like some hard, fast goals of like you want to play a particular venue or you want to get picked up by a label or anything like that? What would you guess if you were a venue that we want to play? I don't know, man. Like, you know, honestly, now that I think about it, I don't know any like staple like bluegrass venue. Oh, sure, sure. Right? Well, it's all changed now. There's no state. I mean, it's different. There are staple bluegrass, but big stages are holding bluegrass. Mm-hmm. I was, here's what I was hoping that you would just say it because it, I feel like it's so obvious. But Red Rocks, okay? Yeah, I was gonna say okay, like it, Red Rocks or like Madison Square Garden. Oh, you know? yeah, okay. Well, my life would have to take a pretty crazy left turn for me to be selling out like Madison Square Garden. Okay, yeah. Red Rocks is relatively feasible, and when we talk about goals. That's something that we've said as a goal to one another. Let's see if we can play Red Rocks in the next five years or something. Like okay, that. I think we said that last year. Um, so that would be a goal. But otherwise, the goal is keep playing and keep having fun and keep making music and just seeing where it goes. It's not like, yeah, we got to get here to get here to get here. In some ways, you probably do have to do that. But every door you walk through has another door next to it. And that's what that's what you do. And that's how we got to where we are now, which is still just humble little armchair boogie. I mean, that's where we're at. And I just want to keep going and I, and I want to keep feeling fulfilled. And I want to lead a healthy life with the guys and make sure everybody's happy and, and play music yeah yeah that's awesome i love it yeah it seems pure i you know i'm trying to man i'm trying to be pure i want to be real yeah so after this interview the listeners they haven't gotten a taste or a full gallon drink of armchair boogie before in their music listening live yeah they're gonna hear a song from armchair boogie tell us about the song they're gonna hear well i think it'd be appropriate to listen to all my friends 
which is the opening track on our second full-length album. Yeah, that's about all, my friend. Yeah. It's not like a really sentimental one or anything like that, but it's a slight story about just how it goes. I talk about playing music all night long, and then the last thing I remember, I was plucking the banjo, and we were having all sorts of laughs. That's what I'm doing tonight. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, does the song just kind of come to you, or is it a longer process? Like oh. Some songs take, you know, months or years to come together. Yeah, some do. I think this one was pretty quick. A lot of times my writing style is like, I'll just think of a line. I think of liners, and I just keep writing them down. And a lot of times they'll have the same rhythm to it, and I'll kind of get a collection of those, and I'll piece them together until I, I make it and form something. But this one, I was kind of being like, when you write albums, sometimes you're like, okay, I need this song, this song, and this song. Like, literally, like, I need a minor slow jam, and I need an upbeat one that starts on the five, and, you know, stuff like that. So this was my, like, I wanted to write my Whiskey River. So that's what I was thinking of when I wrote this. And it's, it's nothing like Whiskey River, but it's it's my feeling. Like, that brings you that feeling. Like, that's what happens when you write an album. Like, and it's just happening where we just got done recording another album, which is going to be called Hard Times and Deadlines. What number is that? That would be the third full-length album. We have an EP in there, too, the Western EP. Four-song little pandemic project. But I was just kind of going through that. I'm like, we don't have a banger yet. We need a banger, and I need to write it. And I did. Luckily, I just, like, did, and I'm really, really proud of it. So I'm stoked about that one, too. Sweet. So so that's kind of just how that happens, is that I'm like, okay, I need this, and then I try and write that. Nice. Yeah. Does that put pressure on you, or are you more creative when you put pressure on yourself? I definitely have to put pressure on myself in order to do it, because otherwise I'd have 20,000 half-written songs that are sure. like, oh, that's a cool chorus or something like that. Got to put pressure on myself to do it. Yeah, this is what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Particular show or a particular venue that stands out as like, oh, man, if we could play that show or that venue every time out, that's the one I would want to play. No. I can tell you some fantastic ones. Okay. But you can't have the same show every night. Sure. You know, that's a pretty common one. I feel like people ask sometimes, it's just like, what's the one you think of? We just had one happen that was amazing, which was at the Sylvie in Madison on January 14th, my 30th birthday. Okay. So it was a big one for me. And we headlined the Wisconsin Bluegrass Festival at the Sylvie. I think we had like 1,200 people there and it was our biggest show that we were headlining in our hometown so it was like a really really big deal and we got all dressed up for it and we had this absurdly ridiculous intro where we had chicago bulls theme playing oh my god we had spotlights bring each of us on the stage individually while a guy announced us individually as if it was a bulls game or something and we were dressed in tuxedos and oscar and i did the two guys one banjo thing there and i crowd surfed at the end of the night oh wow in that huge crowd I've done that before? I did that at a Horseshoes and Hangar Days concert in college. Okay. So it had been a minute. Yeah. It had been over 10 years since I'd done it, but it was awesome. So that was the best show of my life. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It was extremely fulfilling, and we just all felt very, very, very solid about the show itself, and all those things combined with the fact that it was just like such a big hometown, important show for us, and and we felt like we killed it, and that's the one. Yeah. But then a month later, we played at this place called the Big Dipper in Park Falls, Wisconsin. It's a cabin in the woods. Okay. And there was 75 people there. Okay. And I had the most fun ever there. I just had so much fun. It's those two shows. Yeah. That's awesome. You can look back at all the shitty shows and yeah, like, you know, this is worth it. No doubt. It is beyond worth it. And sometimes you're like, it's not worth it. Many times in any musician's life, they say it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. 
You say, is it worth it? You say, barely. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But damn, is it fun. And it, I, I'm so beyond grateful to just have gotten to where we've gotten. And I'm so proud of the guys. And I'm so proud of myself and everybody for just figuring it out. And like I said, everybody that's here is the family right now. And that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel it, man. I can feel the gratitude just emanating from Good. you. Yeah. Glad. It is emanating from you. Yeah. I'm, it's unfolded. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always end, you know, every interview with the same question. And I asked you beforehand if you wanted to know. And you said, no, just drop it on me. Yeah. So, what is the most important thing that people who listen to this podcast should know about you or that you want them to know about you? It could be you as a person, you as a musician. It's that I don't have the capability of explaining how deeply I feel the passion for music and nature. Mm. So the feelings that I have for it are so unbelievable that that this is all I'll be doing in my life. And I very well will probably be poor for a long time because I, I can't do anything else. Yeah. Besides this. And uh, I'm doing everything that I can to do right to myself by playing music and the people around me playing music and also do right to the world by doing ecological restoration and planting trees and prairie plants in Wisconsin. Yeah. And telling people about those things. Yeah. So that Stevens Point education did pay off. Then. Yep. Worked out all right. Yeah. yeah. It worked out all right. I did pay attention a little bit. Yeah. 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 So, you know, kind of closing the conversation here, you mentioned that there's an album coming out yeah. soon. When will that drop? Do you have an estimated kind of time? Yeah. Well, we're trying to go for the fall of 2023 here. So we still got a ways. The album's basically done, but there's a whole lot of BS that has to happen before sure. it comes out. Yeah. We're trying to do it right. This is the business part. We're just trying to do it right. Yeah. And make a big, big splash with it. Yeah. Any tours coming up? We're doing a lot of stuff in between that. I mean, we're we're all over. We're hitting a lot of states. This summer, we're going to be doing Colorado, uh, Utah, Montana. In two weeks, we're going to be in Florida for Swanee Roots Festival. We're going to be down there with Sloppy Jill, people who taught us how to do it. Oh, that's awesome. And just a whole bunch of great, great stuff. We're going out east a few times, D.C. We're starting to hit the east coast a little bit more. Yeah, we're just ripping it up, man. Yeah. Keeping it going, trying to figure it out, do the thing. That's really cool, man. Yeah. I appreciate your time, and thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for sharing what you shared, and Red Rocks is in the future. I can feel it. I can feel it. We'll see. It's an amazing place, and yeah, I got high hopes for it, so. Yeah. Well, thank you for the words, man. I appreciate the talk. Thanks for letting me talk about myself. There's a pile of rocks sitting at the corner of the field. I find myself on top of those stones. I'm feeling all sorts of feels. There's arrows of light shining down from the heavens. And they're shining so bright and so loud that I must have my dang old head in the ground. That's the way it goes after a night like that. Yeah, last thing I remember, I was plucking the banjo. We were having all sorts of laughs. What would I do that to myself? Why would I drink my night away? Oh, yeah, that's right. All my friends, they told me to do it. All my friends told me to do it. I know they might seem like a bad influence, but they're how I get through it. All my friends keep me from feeling down. That's why I'm proud to rule and love their way. Invite me over for dinner Invite my woman too 
Give me a plate of baked beans, tater salad, far too much bother. All my friends told me to do it. I know they might seem like a bad influence, but they're how I get through it. All my friends keep me from feeling down. That's why I'm proud to throw a little of their own. Run 
Thanks for listening to the Musician's Venture Podcast. Please leave ratings and reviews from wherever you're listening from. Check us out online at themusiciansventure.com for more information on what we have happening, to find past episodes, and ways to get in touch with us. Find us on social media at The Musician's Venture on Facebook and Instagram, and at Musician Venture on Twitter. Like and follow us on all those platforms, and hey, while you're there, engage with and share our content with your friends. The Musician's Venture Podcast is hosted by me, Nick O'Brien, with guest host appearances from Allison M. The podcast is produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>